from the Hutterberg Catechism, we read Lord's Day 48. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come, that is so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we focus our attention on the second petition of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He taught them to pray, your kingdom come. When we speak about the kingdom of God, we mean his rule and authority over our lives, over his church, indeed over the whole world. As creator of this world, God is Lord and master over all. He's king of all the earth. Yet with the fall into sin, man rebelled against God's kingship. We like to be lords and masters of our own lives. In actual fact, when we reject the Lord as king, we subject ourselves to the rule of sin and of Satan over us. The second petition is a prayer for God our Father to be ruler over us. It's a prayer in which we submit ourselves to his kingship. Today we know Jesus Christ as our glorious king, seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is Lord of lords and king of kings. He rules over the entire world for the sake of his church. Yet the fullness of Christ's kingdom has not yet come. Many of the elect still live in darkness. Satan and the forces of darkness work with all their might to break down and to destroy the work of Christ. To better understand the prayer for the coming of God's kingdom, we focus our attention this afternoon on the prayer that King Jehoshaphat prayed In 2 Chronicles 20, the kingdom of Judah was faced with a deadly threat. A great army made up of Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites came to attack them. The survival of Judah was at stake. It was to David that the Lord had promised that a son of his would always sit on the throne. If Judah was wiped out, the line to the coming Messiah would be cut off. And so Jehoshaphat prays a prayer for the kingdom. He prays for God to vindicate his people. This prayer and the Lord's response to it teach us about how we are to pray the second petition. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. In the second petition, we pray for God's rule over our hearts and lives. We'll consider the necessity of this prayer, our confidence in praying this prayer, and the certain fulfillment of this prayer. Prayer is not natural to us. 
With a fall into sin, we broke communion with our God. God was the one who sought man out when he hid in the garden. God was the one who established a covenant with his people. He was the one who gave his son to bring us back into communion with him. It's only by his grace and spirit that God works in us a desire to pray. Prayer is not natural to us. It's God's work in us, drawing us into closer communion with him. Most people in this world rarely pray. The reason for this is that they do not know God. They do not live in a relationship with him. Perhaps in times of great distress, they might in their desperation call out unto God, whoever he might be. Yet prayer is foreign to them. For children of our Heavenly Father, this is different. We know God because he has revealed himself to us in his word. We love God because of his mercy to us in Christ. We live in communion with God. And we express this by addressing him in prayer to thank him for his blessings and to pray for our needs. King Jehoshaphat was a godly king. 2 Chronicles 17 tells us he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commandments. The Lord blessed this faithful king. The Lord established the kingdom in his hand. He had great wealth and honor. Jehoshaphat took delight in the ways of the Lord. He removed the high places and the wooden images of other gods from Judah. Jehoshaphat was a theocratic king. He knew his role was to serve as God's earthly representative. He knew God to be the king of Judah and that his task was to rule in God's place. Jehoshaphat wanted his people to share in the blessed communion he had with his God. It's worth noting the specific actions he took to teach the people about the Lord, to help them serve him. Jehoshaphat sent his leaders to teach in the cities of Judah. With them he sent Levites and priests. 2 Chronicles 17 verse 9 says, And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. The, remar- the, the results were rather remarkable. Note that Chronicles does not say that the fear of God fell upon the people. No. The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. Judah's service of the Lord had such an effect on the surrounding nations that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Instead, the Philistines and Arabs brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute. Jehoshaphat's reforms continued. He went out again among the people throughout the land and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges throughout the land and instructed them to consider carefully what they were doing. For they were not judging for man, but for the Lord. Joshua commanded them not to show partiality or to take bribes. As king, 
Jehoshaphat was concerned that justice be administered fairly. That was pleasing to the Lord, and it ensured that the rights of the poor and the needy were maintained. Why did Jehoshaphat bring about these reforms in the land? Well, it's because he knew of the sinfulness of the human heart. He knew of our natural tendency to think we can rule over our own lives. Jehoshaphat himself fell into this trap when he allied himself with the wicked Ahab, king of Israel. You can read of that in 2 Chronicles 18, which we didn't read together this afternoon. The point is, we all need to be ruled by God's word and spirit. Without God and his grace, we're nothing. Each of us needs the Lord to be king in our lives. The Lord brought this message home to Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah in a special way. He allowed a great army of Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites to rise to make war against the kingdom of Judah. Reports came to Jehoshaphat about this threat. And now the very survival of Judah was at stake. If these nations accomplished what they set out to do, the kingdom of Judah would be annihilated. The line leading to the Messiah would be wiped out. God's kingdom would be destroyed. And so Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast in the land. All of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. They came from all the cities of the land. All the men with their wives and children and little ones stood before God. Why? To humble themselves in prayer before God, seeking his mercy and grace. Where did they gather together? In Jerusalem, at the temple of the Lord, in front of the new courtyard. It is striking to see the words Jehoshaphat uses to address God in prayer. He begins by confessing God's kingship. Jehoshaphat prayed, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Jehoshaphat confessed the Lord to be ruler over all the nations of the earth, the faithful covenant God of his people Israel. Jehoshaphat went on to plead with the Lord on the basis of the prayer that Solomon offered at the dedication of the temple. Solomon had prayed for the Lord to hear and answer the prayers of his people when they came and called upon him in times of disaster, when the sword, famine, judgment, or plague came upon them. The Lord had heard Solomon's prayer, and he had promised to hear and to save. So we see, Jehoshaphat was pleading on the basis of God's promises. Jehoshaphat also reminded the Lord who it was that was coming up against Judah. It was the Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites. 
nations that the Lord forbade his people to attack on their way home from Egypt. The Moabites and Ammonites were descendants of Lot, the friend of Abraham. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. They had shared in the blessings of the covenant. Yet now they responded to God's grace by coming to wipe out his beloved people. Jehoshaphat prays, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Beloved for Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, the necessity of praying for God's rule over them was obvious. They were under attack. If the intent of their enemies was realized, they'd be wiped out. Their very survival was at stake. Do we need to pray the second petition with the same kind of urgency? Is it really that important for us to pray, your kingdom come? We live in peace and in prosperity. We're not facing the same kind of threat, are we? Well, yes, beloved, actually we do. We face a very similar threat from very strong powers arrayed against us. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Instead, it's against the rulers and powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We too are engaged in a life and death struggle in spiritual warfare against the devil, against this world, against our own sinful flesh. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, the apostle warns us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan knows the time is soon coming when he and all his forces will be banished to hell forevermore. And so he fights ferociously against God and his people. Daily, he tries to influence our hearts and lives. And daily, he exercises control over so many different people in this world. And Satan's not just a powerful enemy, he's also very cunning. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 warns us, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. We also struggle with our sinful human nature. Many of us struggle with our pride. We like to think that we are more than we truly are. And it's hard for us to be humble before God or each other. Some struggle with anger. Their temper rises and they quickly blow off steam when something in life does not go their way. Some battle with lust. They find it hard to overcome their struggle against pornography. At times in our relationships, we don't show the respect, the honor, the love the Bible commands. Each one of us faces his or own, her own struggles in living a holy life before God. 
Can you understand, beloved? The need for prayer. Even though Jesus Christ has established the kingdom of God on earth, our warfare is not yet over. Daily we face our mortal enemies and their intent is to defeat us, to subdue us. That's why prayer is so important. It's part of our spiritual armor. Day by day, we need to ask our Father in heaven to equip us by his word and spirit that we may walk in his ways. Daily, we need the grace of our Savior to help us to persevere in our spiritual warfare. Our enemies are even stronger and more cunning than the foreign armies arrayed in battle against Jehoshaphat and Judah. So we need to continually pray for God's rule over us. It brings us to our second point, and it will consider our confidence in praying this prayer. When we pray for the coming of God's kingdom, we are asking for something that God has promised us in his word. That's what world history is actually all about. It's about God working in the hearts and lives of people, calling his children to repentance and life. It's about bringing the full number of the elect into the kingdom so the fullness of the kingdom may come. On that day, Christ will return on the clouds of heaven as Lord and King of heaven and earth. Because Christ has promised to give us the kingdom, we may plead on these promises confidently, just like Jehoshaphat did. He pleaded upon the promises that the Lord had made at the dedication of the temple. He called on the Lord to hear and to save his people. He did so in the earnest expectation that the Lord would hear his prayers. Not because Jehoshaphat or the people themselves were so good, but because God is faithful to his promises. The Lord showed forth his faithfulness to all Judah gathered in front of the courtyard of the temple. The Spirit of the Lord came upon a Levite to the sons of Asaph. He prophesied, saying, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Both King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah responded to these words in faith. They left behind the strong fortifications of Jerusalem. They went down against, the, against their enemy, trusting the word of the Lord spoken through his prophet. The people went singing. 
you know what they sang as they went to face this great army encamped against them? They sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. The people of Judah put themselves in a position to see how the Lord would win the battle for them. And the Lord fought for his people. He caused the Moabites and Ammonites to turn on the Edomites and destroy them. And then he caused them to turn on each other to destroy each other. 2 Chronicles 20, 24 says that when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde. And behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. God vindicated the trust that his people put in him. And so, beloved, we too can be confident when praying the second petition. God has promised he will bring about the coming of his kingdom. Just like in the days of Jehoshaphat, the battle is not ours, but God's. Just as God preserved Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, so he has also promised to gather, defend, and preserve his church. Christ is the head of his church. The church is his body. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is his bride. Christ has promised to nourish and cherish the church. He has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why has the Lord made such wonderful promises to his church? It's because the church is the means by which Christ has established and by which he furthers his kingdom on earth. It is to the church that Christ has given office bearers to call and keep his people living in communion with him. It's to the church that Christ has given the ministry of the gospel, the sacraments, and church discipline. Christ established his church, the gathering of believers, as the place where salvation may be found. It has great implications for our lives, beloved. Even though at times we may face troubles and sorrows in the church, because of the failure of its leaders or the sins of its members, we still need to pray for the church. We need to pray for God's grace towards his people, that he may defend the church from Satan's attacks. We need to pray that the church may function well, that the gospel may be proclaimed in faithfulness and truth, that we may, go, that we may grow strong in our faith and in our walk with God. We need to pray that God will continue to use us as church and also as individuals to share the gospel with others, that they too may come to Christ and partake in his blessings. Beloved, throughout history, we've seen the church come under attack from without and from within. Often when the church comes under persecution, the Lord uses the courageous suffering of his people to spread the gospel. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It causes many to take notice of God's work and to learn to fear his name. When false doctrine is promoted 
and heresy threatens the church. Its members are often forced to study the scriptures deeply to discern what's right and wrong. Often this leads to a serious recommitment to the faith and to the service of God. Just like in the days of Jehoshaphat, we see how God defends and preserves his church when we put our faith and our trust in him. Brings us to our final point, and we'll consider the certain fulfillment of this prayer. Remember the desperate position of Jehoshaphat in the kingdom of Judah when they faced an innumerable multitude arrayed in battle against them. They faced being destroyed, wiped off the face of the earth. Yet when they prayed, God delivered them with his mighty hand and outstretched arm. In the same way, there are times in life when we feel like we're going down in our spiritual warfare. We can get discouraged. We can be ready to give up. Yet when we plead on God's promises, he will hear and he will save us. Not only did God give Judah a great deliverance, he also allowed his people to share in the spoils of his victory. They found an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry. There was more than they could carry away. They spent three days collecting it all because there was so much. They assembled in a valley and blessed the Lord. They call that valley the Valley of Blessing. For there they blessed the name of their God. Not only did the Lord allow his people to plunder their fallen enemies, they also returned to Jerusalem with joy. They came to the temple singing and making music to the glory of God's name. Because the Lord was on their side, they were victorious. God's mighty work on their behalf had a strong effect on their remaining enemies. 2 Chronicles 20, 29 says that the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace. God gave them rest from all their enemies. Beloved, in Christ we have the promise that the fullness of the kingdom will come. Christ has promised to return on the clouds of heaven. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 15 that at the end of time, Christ will deliver the kingdom of God to the Father after putting an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And then when all the enemies are done away with, the Son will subject himself to the Father, that God may be all in all. At the end of time, Christ will say to the Father, Now my work is truly finished. It is all complete. It's perfect. Now I hand the kingdom back to you, that you may be all in all. Do you understand what that means? It means there will be no more enemies. No more Satan. No more sin. No more death. No more rebellion. 
God will be everything to everyone. We will dwell in communion with our Father. We will serve Him perfectly. Such will be the final victory of Christ, our King. And at that time, we'll be allowed to share in the spoils of Christ's victory, to share in everlasting life with God, to enter into perfect communion with Christ our Savior. When Christ returns, He will fill our hearts with inexpressible joy, with the peace that surpasses all understanding, with glory beyond our wildest imagination. We'll be allowed to reign with him eternally on new heavens and a new earth. Therefore, beloved, let's not just pray for the little things of life. Let's dare to pray big prayers. In his word, God has given us perspective. He teaches us that the kingdom of God has been established on earth by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls us to pray earnestly for the progression of this kingdom, that God rule over us by his word and spirit, that he preserve and increase his church, that he destroy all the works of the devil. Christ calls us to pray for his return, that the fullness of his kingdom may come. Beloved, when we pray this second petition, we can do so with full assurance of faith. We see this in the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. There we confess, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Christ has won the victory over Satan with his death on the cross. He is reigning over us from the throne at God's right hand. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Our Lord is Lord over all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. As our king, he will allow us to share in the blessings of his kingdom, both now and forevermore. Amen.